0: Let's talk about today's, uh, t- today's message in the series. I want to kind of intro the series first. Brilliant people have had huge questions about God. Christopher Hitchens, famous atheist, wrote the book God is Not Great. Richard Dawkins, another famous atheist, wrote The God Delusion. Sam Harris is the author of The End of Faith. Bill Maher and uh, Larry Charles produced the film Religious. And Julia Sweeney talks about abandoning faith in her one-woman show called Letting Go of God. All these bright and successful people struggle to find their way to God. And they all seem to have asked the same question. Why is faith such a hard thing to grab hold to? If God exists, why doesn't he make his presence more easily known? Why doesn't he give more tangible, verifiable evidence? If there is a God and he created us and made us with the power of reason, then why doesn't he provide us with objective facts to prove his existence rather than forcing us to find him through faith? The question beneath all those questions is really this. Why faith? Why faith? Wouldn't it be easier for us to just know Rather than having to believe, I mean, if all eternity hangs in the balance, why do this the hard way? That's what I'm thinking about as we head toward Easter. And to deal with those questions, I want to look at the stories of people who actually saw the risen Christ in the first century, for whom knowing was not just a matter of faith. And, and I want to talk together about how that encounter settled with them and what their experience teaches us about encounter and faith and trust and going with God. So we begin the story in the book of John. Because the whole message of John can be summarized in one word, believe. The whole thing. So John walks us through story after story and lesson after lesson about the nature of Jesus. And his book culminates in the poster child for all witness eyewitness stories. And I want to read the whole story with you and then go back and pull it apart so we can get all the good out, out of it. So look with me at John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 19. And um, so the best way to engage the message is with your Bible, something to write on, something to write with. You're really going to want to take notes on this one because I give you lots of stuff. We're going to get a little bit Greek geeky up in here today. So um, so look with me at John 20, uh, Beginning with verse 19, we're going to read the whole thing so you can get the bird's eye view, and then we'll come back and we'll pull it apart. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, which is sort of a little bit funny, don't you think? Like, (laughs) I've just walked through a wall and a door and I died and other stuff, but hey, hope it's all good with y'all. Um, so this is verse 20. So after he said this, he he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed, I bet that's an understatement, when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, who's also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. I bet he was. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again. He did it. I love this. And said, peace be with you. And I bet it was just as unpeaceful the second time as it was the first time. How do you do that? And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I want you to underline that sentence. If you have the NIV, or really whatever version you have, Underline that sentence. I'm going to come back to it. There's a little bit of a question there. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I think actually the way you say that line is on your knees, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I want to pull this story apart for you but first <laughs> I have a confession. I hit a pole. You can go ahead. I really did. I hit it, I hit a poll last week. Those of you who are more familiar with my driving history may be disappointed, but you're not surprised. (laughs) My relationship with cars is complicated. So evidently is my relationship with polls because this is not my first poll. The first wreck I had ever was when I hit a poll when I was 16 or 17 years old on Central Avenue. So you can't blame last week's poll on my age because I've been doing this a long time. The second poll I hit was in a parking lot somewhere between Athens and Atlanta and like the parking lot poll I hit last week, that poll also tot- totaled my car. Which says a lot more about the value of my cars than the extent of the damage. Although the poll last week really definitely won. The third poll I hit, which was not last week's poll, it was technically not my fault, okay? I would put the responsibility more on the car. True, I left it running and in gear when I went into Kroger to pick up a birthday cake from the deli, but I was in the deli counter, at the deli counter, when the announcement came over the intercom asking the owner of a white Toyota Corolla to go to the parking lot because their driverless car was riding through the lot by itself. And I didn't hear the announcement because I was at the deli counter ordering a birthday cake. I didn't connect the dots when I heard people laughing about it. So when I finally did get out there, the car had already hit the pole, so I ask you, is that my fault or is that the car's fault? (laughs) Last week, after I hit my fourth pole, (laughs) I love that, wow. (laughs) Not making eye contact with me as they say that. My sister told me, you are Polish. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead and laugh. I don't know why I'm wired the way I am. I don't know. I've always said that stress for me shows up in my car or in my bank account. One of the two is going to get messed up when things get rough. But here's something I learned about poles. They don't move, especially parking lot poles because they have these big concrete bases because I'm not the only person who hits a pole, people. They've learned. That one last week really did a number on my car. It looked like I ran into a semi, but it was just a pole and I wasn't going fast, I was in a parking lot and just so you don't wonder, I did not have my phone in my hand. I did this all by myself. (laughs) Poles don't move. And I'm telling you this whole story not to confess my conflicted relationship with cars and poles, but because my ego is eclipsed by my passion for a good metaphor. And if my story isn't a metaphor for Thomas's story, I don't know what is. This is exactly what Thomas was so interested in. I believe he was in search of something immovable that he could slam his doubts up against. When he told his friends, I'm not interested in what you think you saw or heard. Because frankly, you guys haven't been the brightest bulbs in the box on this journey with Jesus. So I want my own firsthand experience. I want to know this thing we've been preaching is solid. And I want the kind of evidence that doesn't move when you push against it. That doesn't wobble when my faith falters. I think that's what Thomas was, was after, what he wanted. What he, he wanted to be able to push up against it. Maybe, even being, maybe he even wanted to be able to crash up against the whole idea of Jesus and everything he taught them and find that Jesus and the truth he taught was immovable. And because Thomas is our eyewitness to what he found when he ran into the risen Christ. I want to show you what Thomas saw. So let's look again at John chapter 20. The stuff in front of verse 24 is awesome, but I want to start with verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, both words, Thomas and Didymus, mean twin. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. In that moment, according to the story, it isn't that Thomas didn't believe in Jesus. Thomas didn't believe his friends. That's a big difference. He hadn't laid it all out on the line, set his whole life aside for 12 guys he barely knew before Jesus showed up and who, frankly, had not been all that faithful themselves along the way. I remember when I was in seminary. One day in in my philosophy class, the professor walked in. The first thing he asked was, if the news came out tomorrow that they'd found the bones of Jesus, that those bones were irrefutably his, that it could be demonstrably proved that he had not risen from the dead, would you still follow him? He asked for a poll. Raise your hand. And most of, the, most of the class said yes. They'd still follow Jesus, even if it could no longer be proven that he had risen from the dead. They would still want to believe in what he taught, still want to feel the good feels of the story. Dr. Walls was mortified, called us a bunch of liberals, theological liberals. (laughs) Spent the rest of the class telling us why Orthodox Christianity is not a feeling, it's not a fairy tale, it is an immovable fact. And that nothing less would be worth giving our lives for. So what makes a thing immovable? Look at verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So one of the few magic tricks Jesus performs, Jesus' miracles to this point have mostly been healing miracles, with the possible exception of walking on water. But right here, Jesus does a thing, probably for Thomas' sake. Because Thomas was looking for a pole to slam his faith up against. He wants to be able to push against something and feel it, not move. And so, so Jesus does this sort of uh, visual aid thing. Look, there's all kinds of things in this world that are movable. I can walk straight through walls and doors. Lock it as much as you want. Material doesn't necessarily mean material in the spiritual realm. Jesus wants, Thomas says, look, don't put your trust just anywhere. I get you. I get you. Find out that truth is not relative, that there is such a thing as absolute truth. And right there, Thomas gives us such good permission He shows us we don't need to be afraid of banging up against ideas about Jesus to see what they're made of, whether those ideas are are the feelings we have, the circumstances in our lives, or especially what we think about Jesus in the Bible. If it's movable, we need to walk away now. And that, friends, is not at all the same as doubting. So what's the difference between doubt and, and discernment look at verse 27 then he said to thomas jesus said to thomas put your finger here see my hands reach out your hand and and put it onto my side stop doubting and believe that's how the niv puts it stop doubting and believe this is one of those places where i have to grieve a translation and it is not the majority translation in, the, in this in the story it's not actually what it says in the greek There are a lot of words for doubt in the Bible, but none of them are used here in John 20 27. And for the record, most other translations, other than the NIV, don't use the word doubt in this verse. The literal translation is don't be faithless, be faithful. Do you see the difference? So, how would a translator get the word doubt? from a Greek word that doesn't mean that? Well, I wanna give the translators the benefit of the doubt here, and this is where we're gonna get Greek geeky up in here, so get your pencil out so you can write some things. Um, We're gonna assume they understand all the ways the concept of doubt is used in the New Testament Greek, and I wanna show you the options, because there's six different words for doubt in the New Testament in Greek, And, and, and I think maybe Thomas can help us Diagnose not just his story, but ourselves. So there are six different words for Greek and for, for doubt in Greek in the New Testament. I want you to write down. You don't have to write the Greek word down. I don't know that that's going to be so helpful to you. But write the, the, the definition down. And then I'm going to ask you to ask yourself, which one of these fits me? So the first one is apareo. It means to be without a way. Think no idea which way to go it's it's the person all right I'm just just making up something here you're you're in a parking lot and you're driving down the parking lot row and you're looking this way to decide if you're going to go that way or not and you decide no I'm going to go the other way but without looking you turn and the pole is there before the row ends it's like that Think confusion. I just got confused. Apareo, to be without a way. The second one, diapareo, it actually takes confusion to another level. It's to be thoroughly perplexed all the way to despair. That's a good one. To be thoroughly perplexed all the way to despair. That one feels to me like paralysis by analysis. The third one is discrino. it means to differ. This isn't weakness, but lack of uh, of faith. It's, it's not a weakness. It's just a. It's, it's probably what Hitchens um, had. One of those, uh, one of the atheists I was talking about. It just thinks skeptical, at least. And number four is distazo, distazo, to stand in two ways or to straddle the fence. People often assume that they'll connect this word with Thomas since he was known as the twin. And they want to say that, you know, this was Thomas. He was in two places at once, almost like two of him, like twins of him. But it's possible that Thomas was actually really a twin. That he was called that by his mom and dad because he was actually really a twin. And that this doesn't have anything to do with him because the word's not used. This word is not used in John 20. It's just shifting between positions. Wanting to have our cake and eat it too. The last two are the most interesting ones to me. Uh, Medarizo. Medarizo means to live in suspense. It has the sense of both hope and fear. If you mix hope together with fear, it's, it's like awe. And here I am, a prisoner of hope, and, and now Jesus is Walk through a wall and coming to me, coming to me in my in my prison, in my grave, and and I'm in awe of that. And the sixth one is su chen. It's a hard one to say su chen. It means to raise the breath or to lift the soul. It's the kind of suspense we feel due to lack of light. Like you're like you're walking through a room and the light's not there and you don't know what's next. And then all of a sudden the lights come on and it's a surprise party. You know, there's that sense. It takes your breath away. So I have a sense that those last two words, medarizzo or psuchen, are, are more expectant than doubtful. It's that feeling of stepping out into thin air and trusting the zip line will catch you. You know it will, but there's still a little bit of fear there. It catches your breath. And medarizzo or suchen, both of which are words used for, for the word doubt, It's the sense that faith is something I have to stretch toward. So I have a decision to make in this moment. Do I stretch or do I shrink back? That's how the doubt comes in. There's a decision in the middle of it. And I believe this is the invitation that Jesus gave Thomas. It was not an admonition or a diss. It was an invitation to stretch past the physical fact of Jesus, which is important, but not the destination. Do you hear me? To stretch past the physical fact of Jesus to the presence of Jesus. Because presence in the Greek means not just seeing, but absorbing. So, this, don't be faithless, but have faith, was an invitation to, sure. Take time to stick your finger through the nail prints in my hands and to put your hand in my side, but don't stop there. Go beyond what your eyes can see to an encounter with the presence of the living Christ. And this invitation still stands today in front of anyone who is wrestling between doubt and faith. It is Jesus saying, I get it. I get it. If you weren't living in the first century, you didn't get to stick your hands in in nail prints, to put your hand in my side. For anybody who lives after those first eyewitnesses, I'm invisible. This is Jesus talking. And some of the stuff I do doesn't make logical sense. But here it is, friend. Here's the truth standing before you, inviting you to step into not just the facts, not just the facts, but also my presence. Inviting you, in fact, to slam your doubts up against that and to find me to be solid. So faith is a choice to move from wandering aimlessly to a life of purpose, to move from despair to joy, from weakness to strength, from fear to hope. It is an invitation to let the very fact of Jesus take your breath away, to lift your soul out of darkness and into light. It happens by presence, not just by seeing but by absorbing. That's the choice Thomas was given and the invitation, and you can hear him breathless, stunned, completely willing to take his stand on the Jesus side of that fence. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Can you hear him breathless? Say that together with me, my Lord and my God. Say it together, my Lord and my God. Close your eyes and say it like prayer. My Lord and my God. This is the immovable pillar of truth that holds everything else together. The entire story of God. This ancient confession, Jesus is Lord, holds all of it together. And John uses Thomas's confession to confirm the very opening lines of his Book, John 1:1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's whole gospel has been making that point so he can finally fully invite the reader to believe and to let that truth stand as a pillar in the middle of my life and yours, holding it all together while life slams into it. On every side, it stands, my Lord and my God, immovable. That's why I hit a poll last week. I have too many things, too many things slamming, coming at me from every direction. Seems like everyone in my inner circle is moving or has moved, for their lives have changed, the whole denominational thing. I'm having to admit that change rattles me. My Lord and my God. My daughter and her husband and daughter moved to Houston last week for the sake of a call, but it meant for my daughter leaving her dream home, dream town, dream life, And I know that God called them, but I'm her mama. Do I lean in or shrink back, my Lord and my God? My husband and I have found that retirement is a little bit harder than we thought, and now he wants to be a trucker. (laughs) My Lord and my God. My denomination is falling apart and the pain and anger of so many churches and pastors swirls all around us. I don't understand why there's so little grace, so little understanding for people who can't move beyond the immovable pole of the gospel. My Lord and my God. I killed my car this week. Hit another poll. I don't understand why State Farm still insures me. If you're watching State Farm, <laughs> it's my last poll. <laughs> I had to come face to face with the overwhelm of the season. My Lord and my God. But things are tough. Where is the blessing in believing? Jesus told Thomas, verse 29, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Right there, Jesus gives you a blessing. Jesus spoke blessing over your life while he was still in his mortal body. Well, his resurrected body. (coughs) Blessed are you who have not seen, who didn't get the chance to be there, and yet you still believe. What's the blessing in believing when we can't see the road ahead, when there seems to be more doubt than belief? Blessing is not just for first, century, uh, first generation witnesses. I think Jesus is telling us that the real gift is not seeing Jesus walk through walls, The gift is encountering his presence. Trusting the eyewitness, but encountering his presence myself. This is what drove Thomas to his knees. He encountered big T truth, head on, immovable truth. And everything else had to bend around that truth. So what Thomas sees and what he attests to is the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. When you get it, you get it. So go after presence, friends. Go after presence. Go after encounter. How do you get faith? Verses 30 and 31, Jesus performed, this is, this is John, sort of, this is the high point of the story. There's a postscript in 20, chapter 21, but this is the high point right here. Jesus performed many other signs, not miracles, signs, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. A sign is more than a miracle. A sign is an invasion of supernatural that changes our understanding of what is true. It's not just facts, it's revelation. It points to something beyond itself. That's what we're after. So how do you get revelation? How do you get revelation? You get it by faith, and how do you get faith? Ultimately, faith is a gift, but there are some things we can do to make faith, to, to, to make our, our climate more amenable to the gift of faith. I want to give you four and we'll close. First, be honest about your questions. They might make your friends nervous, but they don't offend God. The very fact that we ask them shows that we want to understand. In fact, Thomas shows us that faith is often built in times of questioning. Lee Strobel counsels people to check for emotional roadblocks. So when you ask these questions, ask yourself, what's standing in the way here? What causes me to question more than believe? For instance, some of us have had pretty dysfunctional relationships with Christians or with the church. Someone somewhere soured you on the whole relationship with Jesus thing, and what you need most is to be honest about that so God can heal that hurt. If you had a difficult relationship with your father or your or a parent figure in your life, that can also be a barrier to believing in God and trusting in faith. Or maybe you've got theological hangups. It's hard for you to imagine that Jesus is the only way, or that there's a world beyond this one. If those are your honest questions, ask them. James says if anyone needs wisdom, ask. The second thing is that you can do, begin reading the Bible for yourself. As Dave Dave Ramsey would say, go after it with gazelle-like intensity. The Bible is a place where God engages us at the point of our reason. So if feelings are not your thing, the Bible is your thing. Are you reading it? Are you crying out for understanding as you read it? If you've never picked it up before, or it's been a while, then I suggest you start with the book of John, whose whole message is, believe. And if you need help getting a reading plan for John, we've got a three steps forward uh, card with your name on it. See, Chris, he'll get you one. I'm hoping they're out there on the welcome station, but if they're not, you'll get me one. Yeah. The third thing, if you're looking for faith, pray for it. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 7, and 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, the door will be open. And you say, but I've been asking. And that, that's what that passage actually tells you is keep on asking then. That's very much the literal sense here. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It is possible that it is God who is not missing but us. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, and in the process, you may find your roadblocks. And then finally, when you've done everything you can do, wait on God. It isn't always about what we think or feel. And sometimes, as Augustine said, we rest patiently in the unknowing. I want you to write that down, that is beautiful to me. Can I rest patiently? in the unknowing? Because there are things that will always be mystery. Can I rest patiently in the unknowing? Because some answers come only through a spiritual knowing that the Bible has chosen to call faith, and some answers come only at God's pace. we stand so i wonder what the things are in your life that maybe have given you the feeling of overwhelm and and, and what you really want to do is just throw them up against the immovable pole of Jesus and make sure that Jesus is bigger than the thing Make sure that in a battle between Jesus and that thing, Jesus wins. Today would be your day to do that. To come before Jesus and say, look, it's just too much. It's too much, and I need to know that you are bigger than this. I need to know that in the, in the midst of so many moving parts in my life, you are immovable. Give me faith, my Lord and my God. Maybe you need to come into this time of prayer and just admit, God, I, I have waffled in my faith and I've probably not done my part here. I've probably pulled back a little bit too far. I've straddled the fence. I've wanted my cake and eat it too. I've preferred my confusion to your clarity because my confusion allows me to live the way I want to live. I want to blame it on you, but it's me, it's me, it's me. My Lord and my God. Maybe the day is the day for you finally to just say it for the first time or to say it again. I, none of the other things I have slammed up against are working for me. Jesus, I'm ready to put my stock in you, my Lord and my god if you'd like to come and kneel here and let jesus deal with you i want to invite you to come spend time here if you'd like someone to pray with you as we sing this last song i would be so pleased to pray with you i'm going to pray with you now and then i'd be so pleased to pray with you i'll be over here um mark i'm going to ask if you would just come and stand over on this side there'll be somebody on either side that way you can come and just let let's pray for you jesus Jesus, I want to live in your promises and not in my doubts. I want to trust what I cannot see because somebody saw it. A lot of people saw it. I want to lean on those good people who who are willing to give their whole lives for the sake of this gospel. And I I too, Lord, I want to stay I want to be in their company. I want to give my life for the sake of this gospel too. And So God, I, I confess my my doubts, my wanderings, my worries, my fears, but I also, God, want to confess my hopes, and I want to lean on your promises, and I want to be able to stand before you today, everything that I bring with me, and say, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.